You're listening to the Irish Times. And we're back. Well, I'm back. Pat Nugent isn't back yet, but Malachy Clerken here. Eamon Donoghue is here with me. How are you? Good, thanks. Happy New Year. And to you. Uh, of course, we could have done we could have done Happy New Year like last week. It is like the 13th of January, but. Uh, yeah, I decided to take longer Christmas holidays than <laughs> well everybody des- else. Well deserved. Well deserved. Uh, so we are back for another year of the Added Time podcast. And uh, we're going to start, as we mean to go on, talking about a Monaghan intermediate football team. Of course. Which, you know, why not? I, I, I think give the people what they want. <laughs> Uh, and tell them all about it. But I actually, funny enough, uh, I <laughs> woke up this morning to hear uh, a, a grand, thick South Monaghan accent on Morning Ireland. And it was the club, I think he was the club chairman or club secretary of Maharakloon. For the uninitiated, Maharakloon are the team, they're in the All-Ireland Intermediate Football Final uh, this coming weekend, having won the semi-final uh, on Saturday against Mattock Rangers of Louth. But that will not mean an awful lot to anybody, really. Uh, But what will mean something to people is the fact that they are the club who had a sinkhole in their pitch uh, about 14 months ago, I would say. I think it was Mm. like uh, September, October. It was October, I think, 2018. Yeah, there were great pictures of it. Yeah, mine collapsed underneath their pitch uh, and a huge sort of lightning fork uh, uh, appeared across their pitch and their training pitch uh, in Maracloon and you know, almost more, more seriously you know like a local school had to be evacuated and local houses had to be evacuated and like there's you know, I think there's four families that still aren't back in their houses or having to build new houses and all that sort of stuff um, but uh, this is the club of Tommy Freeman people will remember it Tommy Freeman playing for Monaghan uh, back when Monaghan were were really really bad, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but when they got a little better as well in the, in the sort of in the in the in the uh, when they had the same manager as they have now back when Matthew was in charge <laughs> indeed yeah in sort of from twenty oh five on to, and to, uh, when Tommy played on to twenty thirteen indeed the greatest uh, uh, moment of of the last decade for Monaghan football followers was Tommy Freeman scoring the last point. In the Ulster final in uh, in 2013, that beat Donegal. Um, but uh, yeah, so this club have have basically they've had no home and still have no home, and it's going to be I think four years by the time they get a new pitch built. Um, they've had to go and train in other counties. I, ironically, seeing as they beat uh, Mattock Rangers of Louth over the weekend, they're what they call their home ground now is actually in Louth. It's a tiny little club um, about 25 miles away from, from Maracloon who have given them uh, the use of their pitch and the use of their training facilities. And that's where they train all their kids. That's where they all their juvenile teams play. Um, but they've basically gone... Now, in the midst of when, when the, the mine collapsed underneath the club, uh, it coincided with them having a bad year Right in the Monaghan uh, Championship, and they actually got relegated from senior down to intermediate, which has made all this possible. Like when, uh, like a decade ago, Maracloon were winning senior championships in Monaghan, but uh, they've got they got relegated to intermediate. Now they bounced straight back up. They've won the intermediate in Monaghan. They've won the Ulster intermediate, and now they're in the All Ireland final. Yeah, yeah, and they're a strong team. Tommy Freeman and Sammy oh, yeah. Gavin Dugan is playing for them, and so 
They've a, a tough challenge ahead though if you come to Maraman Uktarard. It's Uktarard they're playing on on Saturday, yeah. Yeah, but it's a fairy tale story. It's mad, yeah. It's it, it, like I always like that uh, the the junior and intermediate all Irelands uh, when they when those teams get to finals, they are great stories. Yeah, you know, getting up to to play in Croke Park, like there'll be. There may be maybe a thousand people in Croke Park on Saturday for these two games, you know. <laughs> it would be, but it'd be fantastic. It'd be great crack to to watch them. But um, uh, yeah, Marklin, they came all the way, all the way to this point with no home, no. They, so so they have to train, as I say, about twenty five thirty miles away, uh, and they find their way. And good old Tommy Freeman, at thirty eight years of age, scored eight points on Saturday four of them freeze and he's still banging away yeah but it's funny how stuff like that can galvanise mm. galvanise a group but the extra effort they're obviously all having to put into and the expense mm. expense for the club but um, yeah, it'll be all worth it if they uh, have that nice little story and well, they'll have your article to pin on their wall my article to pin on the wall indeed <laughs> well there's my there's my uh, small indulgence for the year uh, all done in the first show uh, we uh, have a good one coming up Ian O'Reardon is going to come in later a very excited Ian O'Reardon I texted over the weekend and said will you come in and tell us about this Nike Vaporfly shoe carry on and he went oh yeah man and he, he said uh, a subject very close to my heart slash feet so he's coming in to, to explain that whole controversy about uh, what it's all about. But first, uh, Gavin Comiskey is here. How are you? Good morning. Welcome to 2020. Of course, you've been back at work for a long time. Only a week or so, yeah. Only a week Nothing or so. Nothing too crazy. Week. Took Christmas off as well. A week more than me. Rugby. Uh, Heineken Cup. On balance, not a great weekend for the Irish provinces. Leinster kept trucking, of course, but... Um, no, 3-1 three, three defeat bad. to the French. Yeah. Comprehensive in all three defeats. Where do you want to start? Uh, do you know they're all quite similar? The Munster and Ulster defeats to in racing in Claremont um, are very similar. Everyone gets the likes of the Conways and uh, Coatsies and all get themselves fit, patched up. Everyone's mm. they got their best teams on the mm. pitch, well structured, well coached, totally tuned in. First 10, 15 minutes getting put good scores Munster went 9-0 up mm. Ulster were 10-3 or 10-0 John Cooney got a try everything that you're we've seen yep. is, is coming to fruition and okay here we go there's going to be a, a breakout game for a, a Munster or Ulster these Munster and Ulster teams in France and then they realised they didn't have a big Fijian in midfield um, <laughs> Claremont had uh, Raka um, you there's not much to be done um, Vamiri Vakatawa as well coming through Um when these guys started to punch holes, it started to happen in the packs as well. It was really evident when the benches came on that Ulster and Munster are nowhere near. Yes. These are the two best, two of the two of the top four teams in Europe. Yeah. And then they weren't at the races. It was a shame because over the years, especially Munster always stay in these fights. Mm. And while they did for arguably 70 minutes, Ulster were, um, Ulster are nowhere near it. I actually interviewed Bryn Cunningham last week about it and he was like, we're going down the right path. But uh, And I was like, so, like, you, you nearly beat Leinster last year. You know, you, are you, you, can, you could do something this year. And he was like, no, I'm going to err, err on the side of caution. And he was right when it push came to shove against a big team away from home. They didn't have the stuff. It's, it's extremely disappointing for Munster because it just shows that they're at their glass ceiling. They can't go any higher until... They essentially signed Springboks, which they've done. We'll we'll uh, we'll stick on one of them. We'll stick on Munster for for a start. Like God, there's a season that's really after fizzling out in the space of whatever six seven games. 
Yeah. Like I, I'd say I'd say near enough the last time we talked about them on the podcast, they were going well. Uh, They've won they, two from eight. Yeah. Goes back to that Hanlon drop goal not going over, That's unfortunately. It. He was pretty solid <laughs> on the weekend. He did a good job. Um, is he the third choice out half for Munster that we're just watching? Mm. But he's done really well for his. Uh, he's playing to his limit, you know. He's playing together. Yeah, he's playing well. The guy's got a hamstring injury, and he went three six nine, and he he did a lot of the things that you'd want him to do or expect of his a player because he's now established what kind of a player he is, you know. Um, we had this conversation six months ago about Joey Carberry about how Munster can't go to the next level if they're the franchise player that they've signed can't get on the pitch. We're now in a point where. This is a brittle rugby player mm. who's extremely skinny upper body who can't get, whose ankles and wrists can't hold up to the rigours of professional rugby and it's damaging the monster. Really, do you think it's that drastic? Like that, 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 well, look, that his future in the game is... This is a wrist injury and his, he, he broke his arm badly stepping into a Fijian back in 2017 when he was supposed to be the launch pad for him. Now we're in 2020, you know, it's two and a half years ago and he's been injured more than he's been fit in that period of time. When he's been fit, it's quite clear what he is. You know, he's world class, but that's not helped Munster at all. Hasn't helped Ireland either. Um, so not to be gone on about that, but uh, effectively Munster, again, racing and again, and Claremont, but racing were kind of aware that Munster would do would do what they did. Jack O'Donoghue was very good. Dave Kilcoyne was very mm. good. They really showed up and they were penetrative and CJ Stander was doing his business. Even John Klein... I was looked, just going to say, even John Klein had a, had a serious game, I thought. You know what? I, I watched Dev Toner really closely in the RDS to see mm. if he can come back into the Ireland reckoning mm. for real. And Klein, in the, until he gave away a stupid penalty to cost Munster a lot, it really damaged him. Klein looked like the better option, you know, but then he gave away a ridiculous yeah, penalty and he's not a guaranteed line-out thing. So... I'd say the two of them, if James Ryan doesn't get fit, might end up in the Ireland squad. But um, it was mad that they were leading in like the seventy-first minute, yeah. and they end up getting beat out the gate. Intercept try by Andrew Conway, though. Yeah. So a lot of credit goes to Andrew Conway for picking that off. It was yeah. a three-on-one, yeah. so that's where it came from. Yeah. That's where the lead effectively came from. But look, you read it in all the reports, like and Jerry was right as well. The bravery and the commitment of this group of this monster squad cannot be questioned. But they've just gone a decade without trophies, so mm. you know. There's no, there's no getting away from that. Um, Johan van Graan has a plan. You know, he's gonna, he knows what has to be done to match the best teams in Europe, and it's uh, Orje Snyman, the biggest second row in the world, and Damien Delanda, the biggest inside centre in the world. So they're coming in the summer, as as far as reports are true, it looks mm-hmm. like that, and that will solve it. But really, there's there's no other answer to like Chris Farrell couldn't cope with. Fiji, France, he's actually French qualified Vermeer Vakatawa, uh, he couldn't cope with him, you know, like the offloading in his power game and uh, Moala as well for Claremont was brilliant and Raka, these, I don't know how Leinster, Leinster are going to need to be two scores up when they face these teams in the knockout stages, mm. you know they're going to have to have a 12, 14 15 point lead because there is going to be patches of time where they just rip you, rip you apart, you know so it was a sobering weekend but um like same goes for Connor. Connor put up a hell of a battle at home against Toulouse, but just couldn't cope with the power. Uh, yeah, we, we've been talking to year for years about whether um, these French clubs are going to take over Europe and dominate the whole landscape. Mm-hmm. And huge credit goes to Leinster and Munster for stemming that tide. But now, what's increasingly apparent is forget about Saracens and whatever they're doing. Um, increasingly apparent is that uh, Munster and Ulster can't compete with them. Certainly not. Mm. They can maybe in Belfast or Limerick on special one-off days, but Leinster are going to have to try and figure it out now because the whole thing's gone up to a whole other level 
well, Leicester have been in two European finals in a row, but they're clearly, even though, like Leon, they, they took care of Leon very, very convincingly on mm. the weekend. But there's a there's a whole other level that that the French teams, in, a couple of them in particular, have taken a step up to. And has that happened over the last three, four years? Like, like there was always a, a financial advantage there. They they were always the bigger beast anyway. But has that really kicked into a higher gear? No, these, these squads are getting are slightly improved, but they've always just cared more about their own domestic competition. And now they're like, well, they now they've kind of grasped that we can dominate both. You know, if we manage our squads correctly and we we time our runs into these big games, and we don't let Munster and Leinster catch us, you know, when yeah. we travel, you know, um, it just there's no way getting away from how impressive Claremont were in the second half. There's no getting away from how impressive racing were, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, Leon over in the RDS stayed in it much longer than I expected him to now Leinster had a try within two minutes which was socially disallowed but Leinster were, went through the demotions and are playing at an exceptional level as everyone keeps rightly saying but they haven't been tested by a, in a place like Claremont or Paris And what was the, the story about Ulster is it a case of opportunity missed or you know, uh, <clears throat> over the years, a lot of team, a lot of like the early Schmidt era in in Leinster and uh, Munster, when they were kind of uh, genuine contenders for, for Europe, uh, would go down to these kind of places and get a bonus point, or they, you know, or they do, a, you know, Munster were right in that game until the very end. Ulster were gone uh, relatively early in the second half. They, they, they got everything right. They're well coached, well structured. Their first fifteen is a good team, but ever there's so many aspects. They, they don't have the right out half, I don't think. And they've a young guy called Bill Johnson from Tipperary who's on the bench who would be really interesting to see him get a go. He was just so good at underage. Munster would love to have him now. But there's a couple of aspects to the Ulster team is we they've, they've deservedly got a lot of credit for what they've achieved in the last 18 months under Dan McFarland. But um, they've a, they've a further way to go than I initially suspected. I thought they'd go down there, stay in that and get out with a bonus point. And for the first 15, 20 minutes, it looked like they had the structures and the capabilities to win the game. And then it just got, it just got blown away by by a really impressive Claremont performance. What have we learned this weekend in terms of Irish selections? It's pretty. It's actually pretty interesting. I think scrum half is is just John Cooney deserve. In many people's eyes, John Cooney should be starting because of his form has been exceptional. He's one of the form players in the world at the moment. He scored another great try. He can't stop scoring tries. I think he's up to eight or something. He uh, certainly deserves to start for Ireland in a major Six Nations game. February 1st against Scotland. I think he's got a good chance. But it's extremely hard to get rid of to, for the Irish coaches to drop Conor Murray. And he didn't play bad on the weekend. Um, I think that if Cooney produces the goods, Ulster take care of Bath. Uh, at the Kingspan next Saturday and they qualify which they're expected to do all those things that's in their hands that's in their hands yeah. as in they're the highest ranked second place team yes. so win and they're, they're win going and, they're and I, it's all about Cooney guiding them through that as mm. he has done all season so exceptionally and I think if he does it again it becomes irresistible for Andy Farrell and all that And because it is not so much a case of promoting Cooney for, for them for the coaching ticket it's a case of dropping Murray you know but Conor Murray for the last 20 minutes in a big Six Nations match he hasn't really done it before hasn't done it for a very long time mm. I don't think that's a bad option no. he'll come in and change the tempo of a game that's mm-hmm. what he, he's brilliant at doing that mm. so and you know what he's going to change in mindset what, what's Conor well. Murray going to do though when he gets dropped how, would you, how do you think he's going to react yeah. think he's going to become a worse player no, he's going to kick it up No, so it's fine um, it changes it changes the mindset as well you know the, 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 that you're gone from three, four, five seasons of 
shit, Conor Murray can't get injured. Okay, that's one of the... the, 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 the we have two players who can't get injured. And he has been and, injured for a year and they played him when he was ridiculously out of form, one arm bigger than the other even, yeah. you know, from after coming back from injury and they played him constantly injured because... That's some, that's some switch that it, that instead of worrying about Conor Murray getting injured, you're going... We have him. We have him for the last twenty minutes of a. Of it's kind of cool, and yeah, 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 it might work. There's um, one thing that is fascinating at the moment is what the Ireland back row. I, look, there has to be a change somewhere in this team. You know, there's going to have to be a change when Ireland play Scotland and Wales in the opening Six Nations games. Andy Farrell is going to have to lay his mark on the team. They don't know if uh, uh, Kelleher, Ronan Kelleher needs to come back fit. You don't know if Johnny Sexton's going to come back fit. They'd be, he'd be the new hooker, so he'd be the start of something there. Otherwise, it'll have to be one of the hookers who wasn't Time, going. time is going to get tight for Ronan Kelleher, Very, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. he's coming back from a, a, a fracture as well. Um, so, I think it's a fractured thumb. Um, and it's, otherwise, it's going to be one of the hookers who couldn't dislodge a 37-year-old. So right. <laughs> it's not going to be. So really, people do want him to step through. And he, he is the real thing, yeah. in fairness. But he's been injured now for a few weeks. Same goes for Sexton. Looks like if he makes it to the Tuesday, Wednesday, he plays and he won't be playing next weekend. Or mm. Nobody really knows severity of that injury. Just know there have been a couple of specialists and Leinster are not saying much on it. Um, Ross Byrne's next. So he, Ross Byrne keeps creating tries but kicking the ball, cross-field kick. He's grand. Jack Carty's not in the squad but showed a little bit of... If you watch the game closely, he's back. His confidence is still up but he's trying outrageous little chip into his hands in the weekend against Toulouse but he's not in, in the shake-up at the moment. Um, back row is fascinating. Because it looked like Caelan Doris was going to force his way into the team from the performance he gave at number eight against Munster over Christmas in Limerick. It was as good as... It's like a young Jamie Heaslip, except with a bit more power. It was really impressive. And he's been doing that consistently now. They've been nailing him on at number eight. And then they gave Max Deegan, who's a year was, ahead of him. He was savage. Right, but this is two weeks ago. They gave Max <laughs> yeah. Deegan a go at number eight and Doris on the bench. And Deegan was uh, out of this world good against Ulster. Mm. And then he... So I think he literally forced Leo, he dislodged Caelan Doris. Their future, their established number eight, he's yeah. 21-year-old going forward. Deegan was so good, Deegan's 23 now. I think he was so good that Cullen went, okay, we have to put Doris back on the bench because Ruddock and Van der Flyer are nailed on for their positions. And Deegan yesterday was just top quality. Mm. Like he, just, he, I was actually, as I was saying, I was watching Dev Toner and I was watching from the press box. It was just a, quite close when they're coming down into the, the Fundaland end of the, yeah. of the RDS. You, you're really close to the players and you can see what's happening and all that. And all you could see in the corner, corner of my eye when you're watching one player was uh, Van der Flyer and Deegan doing everything. <laughs> doing all the defending, all the carrying. They're just doing everything. There was like three times more workload than every other player on the pitch. They're not as powerful as Ruddock and uh, who times has run into it and all that. But these two are just... And it's the kind of stuff you expect from Van der Flyer now, but Deegan's already doing it. He he got a taste of the Ireland squad over Christmas and went, and he, he said it afterwards. He was like, yeah, I'm, I'd, I'd like a bit more of this. this and me. it's just so evident in his play. So now what has to happen is you have to find a home, possibly for the both of these guys, because they're the form players in the country uh, in the Ireland 23. So Deegan's like absolutely ideal off the bench. So I can't see you don't any... think you don't think they'll both be in the twenty three for the... I think it's possible I'm for I'm form, yes. If you're plus, picking it right now. Plus Vanderflower means... plus O'Mahony. No, Stander goes to six. Stander yeah, I, I Stander's too much power, too much too much his numbers are still off right. the charts. You can't get rid of CJ Stander. He, he the same goes with a, a Bundy Aki. Like Bundy Aki tried to take out Jerome Kano. Uh, on the weekend <laughs> twice Kano milled him out of him but went through him but he, he was like you need these kind of guys you know um, so no standard I think O'Mahony's under trouble sure O'Mahony's not even the best 
uh, homegrown, background monster at the moment. Mm. Jack O'Donoghue who's out playing him consistently. Um, he did well on the weekend. Looks very, again, it's like, how do you drop Murray, you know? Mm. How do you drop a Mahoney? But there's going to have to be one or two things. And what we're, from the evidence in front of our eyes, that has to be the way, way they're going at the moment. Well, that is at least a month away. Let's just uh, finish off dealing with what has to happen next weekend. Leinster, more or less. Leinster are definitely qualified now. They just had to play for a home quarterfinal and a home country semi-final. Yeah, they're the top top seed already with 24 points. Um, so we don't we don't really need to worry about that. Yeah, no, but they yeah. want to... It's They're going to Treviso. They'll, yeah. they'll go... They're, yeah. They haven't lost a game all season. They're yeah, not going to lose this one. Lose, yeah. um, they'll put out a team that's very close to full strength. Uh, they want to get a home quarter. And it's a bit like, the only thing is, like, who do you want to... You could get Saracens. That's true. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> but it's going to be tough anyway. Just nail down the home quarter. That's uh, that's their little carrot. Um, uh, Connacht are done. Ulster need to beat Bath and they will qualify. They don't beat Bath. Bath are not going to show up. Bath are done um, in the competition. It's a pity because you'd love Bath to put out like that brilliant back row mm-hmm. they have and um, with Toby Falatow back in number eight and Underhill. And, um, you'd love to see Bath go full strength but they're clearly, they're four points. They, they made a mess of it this year. They're, they couldn't get their, their internationals back in time. So I think we'll have one of those um, special Kingspan nights, days when they, they put it all together and yeah. the team that we saw in the first 20 minutes against Claremont they'll produce a 70, 80 minute mm-hmm. version of that and you know you'll, I, I have a lot of confidence in Ulster getting to a quarter and, and maybe Mon- sneaking into a semi this year that's their limit and Munster aren't aren't definitely out but they, they need they need many planets to align they need, they need to win and they need, need a bunch of English teams to win away they um, need yeah they need teams to win or lose in, in other they need racing to go to Saracens yeah. and and win and Saracens <laughs> can get to a quarter by half trying you know yeah. so Munster are gone Munster are done yeah. Munster are done from, the, for, from Europe for this year it's been a very uh, disappointing campaign mm. it look it was a very honest campaign as well yeah. to be fair to them and they they were rattled by injuries and um. It would be great if you'd seen that first half or first 60 minutes on the weekend if you'd seen that performance early in the season. But Dave Kilcoyne wasn't ready to go. You know, he wasn't back. Yeah. So they, they have, they, they have been... They've gone hurt. from, you know, being disappointed about not making it through a semi-final three years in a row to now not making the quarterfinals at all. Yeah, they had... You can't take 12 players out of any squad. Leinster have managed to cope. It's it's a remarkable story that they're managing to cope with these players who are now actually going to be the next Ireland Internationals. They're going to replace a couple of those 12 Munster players who haven't been playing, you know. But Van Graan, he knows not to moan about it because everyone knows the score when you're a provincial coach. You, 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 this is what happens. But 12 Ireland Internationals, he hasn't had them for the last eight games as, as much as he'd want them. And their season could derail spectacularly now. They need to nail it back down, get it down to brass tacks, somehow recover through the Six Nations and win a Pro 14 title. That's what Ulster and Munster should be thinking about now. Because yeah. if you don't get silverware, there's no progress in the eyes of the public. Yeah. So. And in the eyes of people that they're trying to get... <laughs> get in and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah do you need? I mean, you need to if they want to make some money. You know, you, they need to start um, filling up these stadiums. You know, that's yeah. what there was the great news about Connacht. Although they got done quite comprehensively yes. with Toulouse at home, there is twenty million on the way to build that stadium. Woo-hoo. Gavin Comiskey, thank you very much. We'll Anytime. Talk to you uh, next week. 
we have in front of us, Eamon, uh, two very bright shoes and a very bright man. Uh, and uh, that bright man is Ian O'Reardon and the bright shoes are... Ian, give us the proper name for them. Well, this is the Nike Vaporfly 4%. So this was kind of the initial version of this shoe which developed about three years ago. Well, four years ago, strictly speaking, in the run-up to the Rio Olympics. Mm. And um, Can I just say, very few people turn up in this studio with not only a prop, but also a ruler. <laughs> Yes, to, we'll, we'll, to 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 do science during our podcast. Yeah, I feel like a bit sort of a young scientist uh, uh, contestant here to see can I win some prize. But uh, no, I mean it is. And I it, don't it's, know how young it would have it, to be. And and dare I say, it's a hugely controversial issue. I think it's probably one of the most controversial issues in in track and field. Well, tell us about it, because I was reading bits and pieces about this over Christmas uh, when I was trying to avoid the real world. But uh, and I'm still not a hundred percent on what is the row, what's it all about. Well, by very brief background, as I say, this shoe was first introduced by, by Nike and the run-up to the Rio Olympics. It had a kind of a prototype model. Mm. As it turned out, all three medals, gold, silver and bronze, were won by Adidas wearing the shoe. Yuliad Kipchoge um, won the gold medal, obviously, in Rio. It was not long after that, Nike developed this, this called Breaking 2 project, where they were trying to be the first man to run the sub-two-hour sure. marathon. They set up all these gimmicks. It was actually in the Monza racing track in Italy. And again, they, they developed this new shoe. This was the shoe they came up with. It was called the Nike Vaporfly 4%. The 4% rec- uh, obviously references what they reckon is the advantage the shoe will offer you okay. over the course of averages out over the course of long-distance running, half-marathons, 10K marathons, whatever. Now, that 4% doesn't, doesn't necessarily relate to a time this this relates to your kind of the efficiency the efficiency mm. of running in other words it's going to give you 4% more efficient why is that because they developed this this new foam this mid this midsole foam which is actually i believe in, originally developed by NASA but they've got a patent on this foam which is about 30 millimeters thick thick excuse me and then inserted in that in that um forefoot of the, of the midsole is a carbon fiber plate so between the foam and the plate it, it they, they reckon anyway, and the science has proven this, that it does, it does generate a slight sort of a, almost like a catapult effect or sort of a springboard effect so that you're becoming a more efficient runner, especially over the long distance. And anybody who's run a marathon or even a half marathon will tell you that when you hit like the wall, 20 miles mm. to go, that's when your efficiency starts to like go and you start to like wobble and your legs start to... You start to you start to lose that efficiency. That's, that's when what, you need the shoes to do some that, of the work for you. That's where the shoe really kicks in. So that was around that was 2017, 2018. Uh, Yulia Kipchoge comes out wears a shoe, breaks the world record. What did he run? He ran a 201 39 mm. marathon in Berlin. That was the biggest improvement in a marathon in in 50 odd years. And then a big, I think things really turned controversial then earlier this year when they bought out a new edition of the shoe, which was called the Next Percent, which they reckoned was even more than 4%. And lo and behold, uh, marathon records start dropping left, right and centre. We've seen, I think in, in the last, in the last um, since this shoe was introduced, uh, I think the top 150 marathon times uh, of the last um, two or three or four years were, were all running, uh, wow. running these shoes. And then... I suppose the icing on the cake was then that Nike came up with another project this in early this year in association with Ineos, that um, that great uh, bra- sports washing brand, yeah. also who also sponsored the cycling team, to come up with a project in in Vienna, where Yulia Kachoge again tried to run the first sub two hour marathon wearing a new edition of the shoe called the Alpha Fly, which is not available for sale yet, and lo and behold, he runs about a one fifty nine forty for the marathon. Mm. Um, so. In the meantime, as I say, times have been times have been dropping. Not just not just on a on a on a global level. You look at Paul Pollock. Well, the how, I was just going to say that, uh, and this was something that interesting that that I took from a column you wrote a few weeks ago. That you know, 
like, get, even if we get away from Kipchoge, if we get away from the two-hour marathon, which of course is the you know the big headline thing, just on a basic level, the 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 mere mortals who are running in these are it it is it is making such a huge difference to them. Yep, like you say, Paul Pollard, like you say, all these. Yeah, now again, people. I mean, I've tried these. I haven't, I haven't actually run a marathon in them yet. I hasten to, I hasten to add. But the big, the biggest issue for me as, as a runner, and I, you know, whenever, whenever I run a marathon, was just finding a shoe that that's comfortable and, and that you feel is going to give you as much as a as a as a as, an, as I suppose an advantage as possible. Anybody who's worn these shoes has said yes. These these are the, these mm. are the best shoes I've ever worn. Simple as that. Paul Pollock knocked nearly five minutes off his marathon best. I need to be careful what I say here, but there are some athletes who are not sponsored by Nike, right. okay, by rival brands, hmm. but will wear these shoes, okay, and right. they'll they'll cover them out. They'll, they'll <laughs> use a black marker. They'll put an X over the over the over the swoosh. Anything to hide them. But it's pretty obvious what shoe they're wearing. And um, this this is why it's become controversial because it's. I think I think it's important to quote at this stage what the IWF, this is the world athletic yes. rule on shoes. Okay, this 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 is the rule, and then then we can decide. Well, this whether, is it. Tell us why it's controversial. Because you know, uh, on on a on a basic level, you know, I'm kind of sitting here going, right. So what? Yeah, exactly. What's the big deal? Yeah. You know, I mean, over the years, you know, they've caught they bought out new spikes, and we can talk about football boots. We can talk about um um you know, technology as part of sport. The rule is. Athletes may compete barefoot or with footwear on one or both feet. The purpose of shoes for competition is to give protection and stability to the feet and a firm grip on the ground. Such shoes, however, must not be constructed as to give athletes any unfair assistance or advantage. Any type of shoes must be reasonably available to all in the spirit and universally, university of athletics, universe, universality of athletics. And I've had one slight note here. Adapting a shoe to, stu- to suit the characteristic of an athlete's foot is permitted if made in accordance to the general principles of the rules. And secondly, where evidence is provided to the IAAF that a shoe is being used in competition that does not comply with the rules, they, they may refer the shoe to a study, and if there is non-compliance, may prohibit such shoes from being used in competition. So in other words, if there is evidence to suggest that a shoe is offering an advantage, which I've just said there is, mm. they can study that shoe. This is what they're doing at the moment. They've set up, a, they, the IAAF or World Athletics have set up this uh, this. This basically a committee to look at the shoe. It's athletes, it's scientists, it's also a legal team as well to say can they actually can they actually ban the shoe? My understanding is they're not going to ban this particular shoe, but they will introduce a rule which will which will limit the size of this midsole, which is currently around as I say thirty millimeters. But if you start going up to fifty or sixty, so in other words, if you're if you're running almost on 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 springs more or less, then that shoe will be that shoe will be banned. But the, her- the horse is definitely bolted on this one. I mean, wh- where do you draw the line? I mean, obviously, if, if you ban a shoe for for world record purposes, if, you, if you've got forty thousand people running a marathon, mm-hmm. you're not going to you're not going to suddenly, you know, yeah, check everybody's check everybody's shoes. shoes and say, well, none of your times are relevant because you because you're wearing that yeah. you're wearing a shoe that's that's not legal. So, it's hugely complicated. And um, isn't the interesting thing here in that you know athletics, the, the athletics makes the news when records are broken. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, uh, aside from uh, artificially <laughs> helping uh, helping athletes, uh, you know, times you, you, you hit a certain wall. There's a, I mean, there's a certain point in human evolution where you can only go so fast. There will never be a nine second hundred meters. You yes. know, exactly. Mind you, people said there'd never be a two two hour marathon either. But isn't that it? Isn't that, isn't that 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 this sort of technology is is the sort of frontier that 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 money can go into? Yeah. Uh, to 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 keep the sport 
going. And I would, I would agree. I'd be the first person to say, this, this has been really quite exciting for the sport. It's certainly got to generate a lot more interest in the records. And we've seen records fall. And uh, ironically, only yesterday, there was a world record on the road, a 10-kilometer world record by... Um, Baronas Caprutu, he ran 26-24 for 10K on the road, okay? And I think it was Valencia or somewhere in Spain. But he was not wearing the shoe. He was actually <laughs> wearing the Adidas Adi Zero, which is a kind of a rival shoe. Okay. So there's already this kind of like... An arms race. Arms race yeah. and shoes, if that's not too much of a con- contradiction. <laughs> An ankles race. Uh, but I think it's... I, th- I want to quote Sebastian Coe here as well, mm. because I, sp- I spoke to Seb Coe recently in, at the World Athletics Awards in Monaco, and I asked him straight up, what's his, what's his thought on this? And his, his exact words were, my natural instinct is to be very careful about strangling innovation. Innovation and running shoes is part of the sport. Now, of course, Seb Code has a few well, <laughs> past ties with Nike, so we need to be, need, need to kind of put that in context. But I think, I think he's right. I think, like, if you, if, you, if you trace the trail of track and field, I mean, when they first bought in the, the, the Monda running tracks and all the world records suddenly fell, that was, a, that was the really fast running mm. track that they bought in. Um, I mean, go back to when I was only talking to my father recently about when they first put in the Adidas spikes. There was a shoes, there was a big shoe war there between Adidas and Puma. So that this, this, this is this hasn't happened before. At the moment, as I said, a lot of rival brands are bringing out uh, different different shoes. So I think I think it's it's going to be very difficult to sort of claw back on this. But um, AAF are not going to take on the shoe companies. Well, certainly not Nike. No, certainly no. not Nike. Um, even though they're not, they're not, they're not a sponsor of of, of World Athletics. Um, Asics are actually wor- another, another sponsor of World Athletics. But um, but I, I I do think you have to draw the line somewhere. You have to draw the line because what what's, what's coming down the tracks? It, it, there's a new prototype. This is the Alpha Fly. This is what Kipchoge ran when he ran his one fifty nine. It's not available to, to the mm. to the public yet, but it has. I think it's either a fifty or sixty millimeter midsole. So, but it also has the the, the carbon plate. On top of the forefoot, so it actually looks like he's running on a sort of a, a blade almost, a sort of a, a sort of like a well, not a blade, a sort of a. Do you remember, do you remember Oscar Pistorius? Not oh, exactly, of course, a, yeah, a man, yeah, a man yeah, of, of good yeah, strength, yeah. and field. But when he had those blades, absolutely, yeah, on, on, on his obviously on his uh, amputated legs, it, this is kind of heading in that direction where they're actually going to create almost like a blade at the top of the shoe. Now, I mean, I think if you reach that stage and people are like running a marathon in one and a half hours kind of thing, I think we'll realise this, this has gone too far. So it's, it's where, it's how they deal with the situ- situation right now. And as I say, in the context of this very vague and this quite almost contradictory rule whereby they're saying that, um, you know, obviously shoes, shoes, you know, if there is an unfair advantage, well, that, then at least it needs to be available to all in the spirit of athletics. So it's, 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 quite, it's quite vague. And I think if anything, they need to, they need to look at the rule first. I before, would say it's be- deliberately vague. <laughs> Are you able to describe how they feel when you're running on them? What what is the improvement? Yeah, a good question, Eamon, because I think as I say, I mean, and it's not that long ago, by the way, when the, all the trend in marathon running was kind of the, the minimalist, like the barefoot. In other mm. words, we were trying to reduce the size of the shoe, so you kind of created a kind of a more kind of a natural from the, stride. From the born to run days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and at one point, people were going to be running around barefoot, and I was like, this is, this is definitely not going to last. Um, but as I say, as I said, the, th- the thing about this shoe is it, it only kicks in. Like, this is not going to improve over, over 5K, 10K. Well, you might get, you might knock a few seconds off for 10K, but it is the marathon, like it's an, and it is that sort of last five, six miles of the race where, Obviously, you're 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 struggling to maintain that that stride pattern, you know. And if you look at, if you look at marathon runners at the end of a race, like their their strides are, you know, the stride pattern is going to significantly shortened. Whereas this will can this this is going to give you that almost kind of um, almost like propeller effect. So yeah, it does. And like I say I haven't run a marathon in them, but certainly even even in terms of just doing a fast a fast tempo run, they just they just feel fast as well. So it's it's it's, it's no doubt. I mean, it's, it's the best shoe, and that's why that's why, as you say, Malachi, like it's not just happening at the elite level; it's happening all the way down. If you go to a Saturday morning park run mm. down in Marty Park, you will see people wearing these two hundred and fifty euro shoes, which does is which that, is which but, is. But does that give their give 
give them an out because it, how do they decide what the universality of athletics is? Like if if there are people down in the park run wearing them, then is isn't that proof that they're exactly. that, that they're available to all? Now at the same time, who has two hundred fifty quid to be spent on a pair of runners? Run? But you know what I mean? Like yeah. like it give that gives them. Wiggle room, arguing room, doesn't yeah, it? It does. It absolutely does. And I think that's why that's why uh, it's going to be very difficult to, to bring in a rule now that's going to ban the shoe. But I, I I do think that they'll have to look at what's coming down the tracks next. And 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 there is a rule. They've drafted a rule. There is a rule coming in. I think it's 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 due. It'll be I'd say it'll be due out very soon. And I, I suspect it's going to be it's going to be concentrating on the midsole. And um, to say the access thing as is, in it will it will have defined specifications. It'll be, have it? to be limited. I guess I suspect right. about thirty mils. That's thirty mil. That's thirty millimeters right right there. But again, it's, it's going to be very difficult to police. Um, but it goes back to the shoe manufacturers. You like, could bring that ruler down to the start line <laughs> of all, all races. But I, I suppose what I suppose the point will be: it'll be illegal to not illegal, but it'll, it won't be to actually manufacture the shoe and to actually market the shoe will be difficult because they if 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 it doesn't fulfil the criteria. But uh, and the people who say ban the shoe. What is the outcome like? Like, if if you ban the shoe, how do they how how do we police yeah, it? I suppose the, the only comparison would be when they bought in the swimsuits. Remember, there was the speedo oh, zealot yeah, or yeah, swimsuits yeah, came yeah, in around. Yeah, yeah. What was that around Beijing and the records of falling left, right, yeah. and centre? And they they banned the swimsuit again, but within certain specifications. I mean, you can still mm. wear. I think you can wear up to the shoulders and and, and, mm. the, and the knees. But back then, they were wearing the full body suit that, that had buoyancy in them. Like, that yeah, was yeah, that, that had it, buoyancy that had air bubbles and, and, inside the swimsuit. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was it was a different kind of advantage. So, but that was banned and 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 still enforced. Stay. Mm. Um, I think what they'll what they'll have to do is they'll have to come up with a rule that's going to say, look, this this is the limit now that that's put, that's put on shoes. So is it the problem they have is more so the foam than the carbon plate? Good question again because there seems to be some dispute as to what the actual advantage is. Because you can get another model of the shoe; it's a slightly slightly cheaper model that doesn't have the carbon plate. Okay, they sell for maybe about one hundred and fifty. And some people reckon that that's actually just as good. Um, I just read a, a, a study during the week, or quite recently, to suggest that the foam may the foam may not be the the, the advantage either. That mm. it actually is just a carbon plate. So we don't really know. But there's, I don't think there's, 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 there's no doubt that like I mean, there's been a few studies done by New York Times, by a few a few of the um, journals of health, and and everyone is saying there is an advantage. Nobody's saying that it's nobody's mm. saying that it's not an advantage here. If anything, they're saying the advantage might even be more than than than, than the four percent. Um, but you know, there's also a kind of a there's also a kind of placebo effect that kicks in here at some stage. Sure, you know, sure, where you kind yeah, of go, well, yeah. I just paid nearly three hundred euros for a pair of runners. <laughs> Everyone's breaking world records. They must be good, you know. So I'd like to do one of these like colorblind studies or something, where people don't know what shoe they're wearing and then and then see what what times they can run. Ian, thank you very much, uh, and we will keep an eye on it as it goes forward. And if there are any uh, any changes in the law, you'll be back to tell us. Um, thank you to you. Thank you, Damon. Thanks, Malachi. Uh, thanks to Gav, who was in earlier. Uh, thanks to uh, Declan and Suzanne behind the desk. Uh, thank you all for listening to the first show back, and we will chat to you again next week. Cheers.